Hello and welcome to the Magical Midlife Podcast, where you get a refreshing, uplifting and optimistic perspective on life in your 40s and 50s. I'm your host, Lindsay DeSwart, and I'm delighted that you've joined us here today. So let's jump right in. Hi, Lindsay here. How are you today? Welcome to the third in our summer season, the third show in our summer season. And today we are listening to an interview that I did back in 2021 with Tracy Evans. And Tracy Evans is the owner and, well, founder and creator of Dream Wins Equine Assisted Learning Center. And since we did this interview, and just actually as we speak, Tracy is in the exciting process of creating her second Dream Wins Equine Assisted Learning Center, uh, but down in the States this time. So they have taken on a whole new property and are starting a whole new construction project to build Dream Wins Equine Assisted Learning Center South, I do believe. So listen into the interview. I hope you're going to enjoy it. Tracy is hugely inspirational and the whole story really rings true when you now know how much she's progressed in the last year and where they are now. And again, just never afraid to take on a big challenge. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. It's a thrill to be here. You are so welcome. And I am so delighted to have you on here. And when I was thinking about the theme of this podcast, you absolutely were one of the first people that sprung to mind. Because when I first met you in a business networking some five years ago, I think so. Yeah, about that, you without question were a lady. Was it you were a lady? You are a lady who was absolutely following your dream. Mm-hmm. And definitely, first of all, just tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you came from, and then we'll start getting into how you're living your dream. Okay. Um, so a little bit of background about me. I, uh, do you want to know how I got into this this kind of thing? Totally. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll share that right now. Um, so I'll go way back. So we might be longer than an hour. (laughs) (laughs) I can edit. When I, Because it really started when I was a kid. Um, For me, I was, I grew up in in a small town. My dad had a huge passion for horses and I got that from him. And we would spend pockets of time with horses, but I never had the means and opportunity to do anything about it. I never learned how to ride. I just dreamed of them. I was the kid with the the horsey room that never got the pony. And I grew up in Niagara. Um, I just took a normal path. Like like many other people, I did my education. I went and I got a psychology degree because I didn't know what else I wanted to do. <laughs> and I uh, came out of that, started working in a government job of all things. Um, after five years, I packed that in. I said, I can't do this anymore. I want to do more. So I quit my job then and thought I was pursuing my dream then to go and do my MBA. So I did my master's of business admin and marketing and entered the wonderful world of telecommunications. And I was a marketing manager in telecommunications for years. I led uh, the voice team at Sprint Canada. I decided to move on to financial services. I got my, but I, I, before that, I decided I needed to find a passion because in telecom, I was 20 hours a day, you know, they owned my time. I was, I, I would be in meetings all day. I would come home, I would do my emails. I would go to sleep, I'd get up, I'd do it all again. And I realized that I needed something for myself. I had no hobby. I really had no passion to speak of. My only passion to that point, and here I was now about 30, Mm -hmm. um, my only passion to that point was chase the money. I wanted title. I was the girl with the dream of being, you know, working girl with Melanie Griffith in the corner office in New York (laughs) City. That was my dream. And that's all I was tunnel focused on title and, and really climbing that corporate ladder and getting, being successful. That was my definition of success in those days. And so I decided I needed to find something for myself, just something I could do on a Saturday morning that was just for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, my partner at the time said, oh, you should find your passion. You need to find your passion. He was a hockey player and and a golfer. And I thought, okay, well, the only thing I've ever really been passionate about was horses. And I'm thinking I must be too old by now to learn how to ride. And I started to research it. And sure enough, I found an adult riding um, stable. Mm-hmm. took my first lesson. And I tell you, it changed my life forever in more ways than I ever dreamed it could. I walked into that barn, I was absolutely 
mesmerized by the fact that they handed me this, they brought in this beautiful little mare and taught me how to groom her and how to look after her. And she was like my responsibility for this hour. And then I got on, which was gravy. It was just uh, the icing on the cake because I had already, already won me over. And I decided I, I, you know, in that moment, I was just hooked. So within a few weeks, I was taking a couple of lessons a week. Within a few months, I was taking, I was part boarding someone else's horse and riding three days a week. And within 10 months, I owned an absolutely incredible five-year-old thoroughbred off the track. And uh, he was a pretty spirited um, horse. He was, uh, he was 17 hands and five years old and a racehorse. So a little much for someone who'd only been riding 10 months. Yeah. And he's the one who really changed my trajectory significantly. So having him, I I wanted more time to ride. So suddenly Mm. my goals started to shift a little bit. Mm, I was going to ask. And yeah. And I, and I thought, okay, well, I need a, I need a change of industry because I'm, it's only going to get more demanding in the job that I'm in. So I moved to, I took a demotion and I moved to a financial services institution. I moved to American Express. And I went down a level to do that so that I could just, I want more time. (laughs) I just want more time. And I did that and quickly my career took off and that's, and that's sort of kind of, it just kind of happened. And I was still in the horses. I had my horse. Um, And it was about, I guess, another nine years before I decided to make a change. Um, It was a a very specific event with my, with my five-year-old horse that changed everything. I, I, it was incredible. I had challenges with him under saddle Mm -hmm. and I thought, well, I'm going to take a horsemanship clinic and figure out, you know, how do we work together? What does he need? What's not working for him? Why doesn't he Mm -hmm. trust me when we're riding out? And I did this horsemanship clinic and it was in that clinic that I learned he didn't see me as his leader. So when I was on the ground, he was wonderful. But when I was on his back, he's like, she's gone. I've got to handle everything. And so he wouldn't go anywhere I wanted to go if we weren't with other horses. Mm-hmm. And in 45 minutes, I learned how to help him understand that I could be his leader just by speaking his language, just by, you know, pressure and release and, and providing those physical cues that got him to, to relax and understand that, hey, I got this. Mm-hmm. Within 45 minutes, he went from a high-headed thoroughbred to following me around like a puppy dog. And within five days, we were galloping trails by ourselves. It was unbelievable. And that's where the leadership through horses idea came from. Holy cow, that is just a fantastic (laughs) story and highly inspirational as I am working very slowly with my new horse. (laughs) However, over to you. (laughs) So when you were in the corporate job, so you moved over to Amex Mm -hmm. and you said it was another nine years. So how was your career going out then? Because nine years is a long time to stick at any job. It is a long time. And it's a great, it was a great company. I had great opportunities there. I worked for New York City. So I still had, I still had my, you know, my aspirations of getting to a senior executive level. And and certainly I was enjoying the the financial freedoms that came with that position. Mm -hmm. Although it was quickly starting to rob my time with my horse again. Um, But yeah, so within about a year, I was promoted back up to a director level. And within a couple of years, I was vice president in the uh, merchant services side of things. And that's Mm -hmm. the role that I was in when I left. I guess it was um, the 2012 that I decided to go. Mm-hmm. But by the time I left, I was vice president of merchant services marketing for Latin America and Canada. So I had teams in Argentina, Mexico, Puerto Rico, and Canada. Plus I reported to the U S so it was a heavy travel schedule. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we also had a leader in New York as, or, sorry, in London as well. So we were, I was all over the place. <laughs> yeah. So how did and, you know it was time to go? When I got to that level thing, the, the job changed a lot when, you know, at that senior level, it's a lot less about doing great work. And it's a lot more about um, managing personalities, protecting your team, a lot of politics at that level, even at that great company. I mean, the leadership at American Express, I will tell you, is second to none in some of the organizations I've worked with and worked for. But it still exists at that level. And I was just getting really frustrated and really not being able to do the work I wanted to do necessarily. I had an amazing team. I loved my team. That was always my strength, mm-hmm. um, was leading great people and, and building strong teams. But I was really tiring. I was getting really burnt out with the travel. I wasn't home when I wanted to be home. I didn't have the time with my horses. It was really burning me out. And I'm, and I'm sure a lot of people have been in that situation where you're 
you're in this job and you're just, now it's a grind right now. And, and I mean, I had the best job in the building. I, I was in Puerto Rico, Mexico and Argentina in the winter. And I, you know, I, I summered at home. And, and so it was, it was not, it was not a terrible job. It was just not going to be the right fit for me long-term. And the stress levels were getting so high. Mm-hmm. I remember saying to my husband one day, I'm like, I am going to get sick if I keep doing this. Like I really felt the physical impact of that level of stress that I was feeling. I really believed that this was going to end me in a, not a great way because I was, I, I just I felt like my body would shut down. I felt like if ever I was going to catch anything, if cancer was going to get in, it was because my stress levels were this high and this is how people die. And I don't want to die. I truly felt that. And yeah. I just, I just felt wholeheartedly. I had to do something different. Um, and it was my husband <laughs> who said to me, you know, why don't we buy a farm and move the horses home? We had two horses at the time. And, uh, and I mean, I couldn't sell the bloody house fast enough. <laughs> like, What if he changes his mind? I mean, this was my childhood dream. My father used to say, oh, one day we'll have our farm. One day we'll have our farm. And I was like, oh my God, one day it's here. It's here. And, uh, and so we literally sold our house and bought the farm and moved to Bradford. <laughs> from Aurora. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. What a story. And so what was the response when you handed in your notice at work? Did they see Well, it was it interesting. No, because at the time, what, what, I, what had happened was I had chosen to buy the farm. I hadn't left my job yet. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't planning to leave my job for at least another year was, was kind of my long-term, my short-term goal was to find, and, and I, my vision, I mean, people say, oh, you must have had a huge vision to build this a successful EAL center and what have you. And I'm like, I just wanted to, to get my horses home and find a job that wasn't stressful. <laughs> that was my goal at the time. Yeah. I was like, I had one, one goal was to get out of corporate. That was my one main goal. And how I was going to do that, I wasn't 100% sure. I certainly at that time could not have told you that it would have looked like this because I would have done it 10 years ago, um, <laughs> 10 years earlier. So I knew it could yeah. look like this. But, um, but yeah, so we moved the horses home and, it, and the purpose of that, I mean, when you have boarding two horses out, you, that's a mortgage payment. So yeah, you have, you can shift your finances quite significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just by bringing the horses home and taking that care on. So we looked at that in terms of a financial restructure. So we weren't so reliant on my position and my paycheck. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I was home, I guess we moved the horses home in July, about six months after we moved here, we had to build the facility because while we were planning to downsize and do an easy move in kind of situation, we bought 30 acres of wheat with a house on it and, and built oh, the wow. entire facility from the ground up. So it was, it Shock was a face. little more of an endeavor than we anticipated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I literally cashed in my retirement. I'm like, okay, thanks Amex. This is what I'm going to use with my retirement funds. Yeah, and I built my, my dream. And in August, I brought my team home and I thought, well, you know, I've always wanted to do this leadership with horses thing. I plan to dabble in it now that I had horses home, but wasn't really thinking of it as a career, more as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And I brought my team home and uh, ran them through a couple of exercises, rudimentary exercises. I wasn't certified in anything. I hadn't, I didn't know anything. I just ordered a few exercises off online that seemed to look interesting. Did a few communication exercises with them. They loved it. I loved it. And I remember distinctly walking home that very day and thinking to myself, this is what I have to do. It was full stop. There was going to be no other job. I walked in the house. I said to my husband, I'm not looking for another job. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, I have to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I have to teach leadership through horses. I have to do it. It's, it is, they, it, they need it. They're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) And he's like, all right, then. So then it was more of a plan on, okay, so how am I going to sort of round out my career at Amex and, and plan for, um, plan to leave. And, you know, when you've been in an organization that long and you're at that level, you don't just quit because it's a great organization. You don't want to, you know, bury your name or whatever, but you also don't want to leave empty handed. (laughs) And, um, as luck would have it, they were doing a restructure that August and I got a call uh, from my, from, from my, uh, boss for a one-on-one and, um, they moved into HR and I'll never forget that morning. And I'm probably the weirdest person on the planet, but I called my husband and I'm like, I I'm getting my, I'm getting a package. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, this is it. There I can read. And, and I was so excited. My team was devastated. My, my assistant knew that my meeting had moved and she came in in tears and I'm trying not to jump for joy. Cause I'm thinking yeah. this could be, this is my yeah. chance, right? This could be it. It was early. I'll tell you, it was like a year early, but 
And that's why I called my husband because I, I knew I'd have options. And uh, he's like, well, that's the universe for you. It's time to go. And so <laughs> I was like, okay, if you're in, I'm in. And sure enough, they gave me a package and I had four months to find something internally because I'd won an award that year and I had I got a great bonus and stuff. It wasn't a, I never felt a personal um, issue. It was just mm. time to change. And honestly, I'd have been in that job for years because who's giving up Argentina and Puerto Rico? When they offered me the the, in, the everything, I, they said, oh, and we've got an outplacement group here for you. And I'm like, do you have an entrepreneurship stream? Because I'm not staying. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. So- it's, I mean, it's fascinating to hear how you totally knew what the calling was, but it was how crazy. it was all going to land in, in, into being. Yeah. You completely. No idea. No idea. Fantastic. No idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I had four months to wrap up my time at American Express, which okay. was great. And within that time, I found the equine assisted learning certification that was going to be perfect for me through Cartier Farms. So the day I left Am, and I did a, I also did a life coaching certificate in the meantime while I was still there because I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of round out that coaching side of things. And the day after I walked out of the doors at American Express, I stepped on a plane to Saskatchewan, and that's when life really shifted. That's when I got, that's when I got my training in equine assisted learning, and I just I. Honestly, my mentors in Saskatchewan were second to none, are second to none. They're partners in my business now, and they are just, uh, they're they're life changers. And I was there for five days. They've built this incredible curriculum of exercises that are research-backed and tested. And it's basically, it was my, it was my missing piece. You know, I'm like, I know I want to teach leadership through horses. What am I going to do with people all day in an arena? You know, how do I make this deep and have a depth of programming that's that's robust and and credible and effective and i landed in the butter in saskatchewan brought home that program and within three months i was open for business and it was just it was an absolute dream come true in so many different ways of course i had to buy more horses there's another good dream and and, you know it wasn't an easy time i'm not saying it was like oh i left amex and i dropped myself into this career that replaced my corporate income it Mm. it didn't it took some time um but i had planned i had a plan and i had i had a runway to do that and i had you know support as well so it was um it was a scary time but it was just the most Mm. incredible experience to just know okay I have exactly what I need now I need to make it happen Mm. so you say it's a scary time let's get really real what happened the scariest times so for me the biggest scariest thing so if if someone was to ask me 15 20 years ago oh do you want to run your own business Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh no thank you I'm an employee I want my paycheck to hit my account every other Friday by 8 a.m. And to the penny, I would know what was going into my account. I was very um, just I I just needed that security financially. So to take the step, not only to run my own business, but also to run an unproven (laughs) jump into an unproven business, an unknown business. Like now I've got to convince people that my horses can teach them leadership like no other. And uh, it was a huge leap of faith for me. And I never could have done it if it weren't for my husband. My husband is an entrepreneur. Um, He's always been an entrepreneur. So he never understood the corporate side of things (laughs) and why I would want to give half my income to the government, which after seeing his T4 and my T4, I agreed with him wholeheartedly Mm, (laughs) for his, uh, you know, his, his tax statement. Um, And so for me, it was, it was a huge leap of faith, but also very scary because I had a tendency to go to scarcity mindset, especially Mm -hmm. in that, not the first year, the first year I lived large, the first year I was being paid, I would have another bonus coming with my package. So the first year was great. Um, I had no stress, but I also, I did not become an entrepreneur in that first year. I really did You weren't jumping through the entrepreneur hoops, were you? No. And I didn't have to, right? Mm. I just, it was, I did not, I wasn't hungry enough to really get it off the ground. So that was the one tough thing was getting used to the idea that I wouldn't, wasn't going to get a paycheck. Mm. And at the end of that first year, as my package was running out, I realized, you know, I haven't replaced my income. I did fairly well considering I hadn't really embraced entrepreneurship. I did, I did have great clients, you know, I had big clients come in. But I decided at the end of, I didn't decide, I I had to decide at the end of the year that I'm going to have to go back to work. And for me, that was my lowest point 
um, mm-hmm. that I can even think of in my life, actually. And I've had some low points, but that one really sticks out for me because I remember and, and it's it's hard to explain, but I, I I had a great network and support system. And when I called around, um, my old boss, Con, who is amazing, had a had a contractor position for me um, at Rogers, and so I was able to uh, come on as a consultant and mm-hmm. still be self employed, but um, come into that role and and it was a, an extremely great job, very lucrative role, uh, more money than I made at Amex. And I remember sitting in the corner of my barn in a heap, sobbing my eyes out when I accepted it, because that was to me the very kind of my first taste of real failure in my life, um, where Isn't I just I blew funny? it. Isn't yeah, that funny what it. failure and success actually look like? Right. Because my whole life, that would have been my holy grail. Yeah. Right. I was I was a consultant. I was making great money. I could make my own hours to some degree. I worked from home a couple of days a week. Like it was really it was a very good position. It was a great, you know, great team to work with. Mm. Nothing, nothing wrong with that opportunity. And that would have been that would have been my feather in my cap just Mm. a couple of years before. And it was one of my greatest failures because I blew it. I had this amazing year of opportunity and I didn't capitalize on it and I didn't figure it out. And so when I took that job, I couldn't accept the job as, okay, I'm going back to corporate. This is just, you know, life. Mm. So I took that job under the understanding that I was going to be working full-time for them and full-time for myself when I wasn't there. So I ran programs in the afternoon, in the evenings, and I took days off to run corporate sessions. I launched a youth program. I did weekend work. I've never worked harder in my life. Um, And within a year, I contacted my trainers, my mentors in Saskatchewan and said, I really want to teach the course. I so believe in this program and and what it has done for me, because now I had a business that was growing. Plus, I was working full time and I was also able to take some of that financial benefit to invest in my business and my branding and figure out what the heck I needed to do uh, to be an entrepreneur. (laughs) Then you started the entrepreneur journey. Then I started the entrepreneur journey. I learned how to network. I learned Mm. the value of that uh, piece of it, which I had really not understood prior to that. And so with that, I I just threw everything I had into my business when I got home and ran programs in my off time and started to build the business up. I contacted my founders and uh, they were very excited. So we actually struck up a partnership so that I could bring their certification to Ontario because they were the only teachers of it at that time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I was able to go out there and, or they came here and they certified me over uh, two uh, sessions. Like I had to have them out twice to, to um, teach me how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I got my master instructor certification from them and was able to launch the the course. And that was my ticket out of corporate because, you know, I was still building up my other business and I hadn't quite replaced my income yet. So for me to have, I needed to have a little bit more um, certainty on some revenue stream. And that was what I needed. There was backlog. There was definitely demand here for that type of work. Mm -hmm. And lots of people that were dreaming of this career, but couldn't get to Saskatchewan or wherever they had to fly to, to take the course. Mm. It was a huge opportunity for me. And I'm ever grateful uh, to have been selected by them to do it. And uh, that allowed me to get out of my notice in the year that I launched the course here. And I've never gone back. Wow. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about now what things look like. And now COVID or just before COVID? <laughs> just before COVID. Now as in current okay. life, a COVID is kind of just a, sure. a given now. We're like, oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, with all of the animals and the courses yeah. and and then also I'd love to know more actually about the details of the course. Because if people yeah. don't know the joy and the benefits of right. working with horses, it is mesmerizing. It's hypnotic. And same thing. It's something I came back to after 40 years away, 30 years right. away. Yeah. And many people do. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So in terms of before COVID, um, several years before COVID, I did replace my corporate income with just my programming. So I was able wow. to, because one of the things I didn't ever want to become was a certification center only. I certainly could. It sustains me. Um, it has sustained me through COVID when my corporate teams couldn't be here. But that's not who I, why I got into this. I really got into this to share the benefits of learning how to, you know, learning from the horses, mm. not just learning how to teach people through horses. So I love both sides of it. 
but having and being a credible certification center to me meant I have to be able to run a successful business doing what my graduates can do. And so I had to prove that out or I wouldn't continue teaching it. If, if no one else could make money at it, I can't do it. Yeah. Um, so that was a big thing for me. So having the ability to do that and grow my business to that level was a huge win for me and just an ability, just approving the model and making sure that that was a sustainable piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then with the certification piece, I also added on a tremendous amount of business training because what became really clear as I taught the course is people don't walk into that certification with the business acumen that I gained through my experience and my training and my courses and what have you. Mm-hmm. And, but then you need some of it. You have to, you're a business person. And I get a lot of people who love horses and want to help people through horses. And it all comes from the most incredible kind and caring place. Mm-hmm. But if you can't make money at it, you can't feed those horses and you can't help the people you want to help. So mm-hmm. the business side of it is really important. So I wrapped in a coaching program. Uh, they get 12 weeks of coaching. They get hours of one-on-one coaching with me. They get apprenticeship opportunities, like whatever my graduates need to get their business off the ground, I will be here to help them do it. That is my commitment. And my my goal is to have graduates all over that are running successful businesses and proving this model out over and over and over again. Wow, cool. Really good. So that's been a big piece of my focus. Um, so prior to COVID, we were rolling. <laughs> it was great. Uh, you know, I, I don't run a lot of programs because I run large programs. So I'm not in the arena seven days a week running my horses half days or three hours at a time. I run, I, I run, you know, a weekly or bi-week. Every other week, I would have a large corporate program going where I have 30 people in my arena. That in combination with high school programs, I do high school leadership programs for the Schism certificates and youth at risk work as well. Those are the three key areas of my programming that I really like to focus on. Mm -hmm. And then I run a date night monthly just for kicks because I love it. Yeah, super fun. (laughs) Right. So before COVID, that was fantastic. We actually had um, a new opportunity coming. One of my largest clients um, is a major bank and we've been working with them for six, seven years almost. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they had finally, we had finally broken through, we'd done hundreds of their employees, but we had finally broken through to the corporate level in HR, where we were going to be part of a leadership program for over 200 more employees. And it was wow. going to become systematic. And uh, we, we'd been working towards this for years. I have such an amazing champion in that organization. And then COVID hit. <laughs> We were like back to zero. Yeah, breaks came on. Um, I had some amazing other opportunities. We do some work with uh, a camp where we ship horses to an island, and that was a growing opportunity. Everything shut down. So we had a huge pipeline for 2020 that just didn't come to fruition, which was really challenging. Mm-hmm. What what ended up happening, which was a blessing and a bit of a surprise for me, was that my course became a very high demand course. So I had to figure out when we went in. Well, I didn't have one yet. Oh, okay. So I had had everybody, I had lots of people interested in taking the certification, but of course it was an in-person course. Mm -hmm. And when the lockdown came in the end of March, it came three days before I had eight people coming to train. And I literally had three days to turn it into an online program. And I, and the whole thing can't go online. There's, there's an experiential component to this that absolutely has to happen, but we were able to take the classroom piece, or I was able to take the classroom piece online and run the session in the mornings, the same way I would have, but through a zoom link Mm -hmm. and everybody signed up for it. Everybody's like, yep, I want to get started. Of course, we all thought it would be just a two week delay (laughs) till they got here in person. And from March, they didn't get here until July. So it was, it was a long gap between, Um, but the feedback was really strong. So strong that even this year we offered the online program twice um, because people liked the idea of just getting away for two and a half days to complete it instead of having Mm -hmm. to be away from their farm for five days. So we now have that option and it's been, it's been a game changer. And even now because of May, my May course um, I've, I've done, I'm doing online as well. So we have that flexibility now to, to maintain momentum for people. Um, Cause when you finally make that big decision to invest and change your life and take that leap, I mean, most of my graduates have been thinking about this like me for years, you know, mm-hmm. I was nine years before I finally figured out how to do it. And I always, I always think about people saying to me, Oh, I would love to do what you do, but I can't afford to leave my job. 
um, I could not afford to leave my job. <laughs> I don't know that anybody could ever afford to leave their no. job to follow their passion. No, you, it you, makes no sense. you live to your means. That's mm-hmm. just life. Um, you know, and, and quite honestly, my husband didn't make double what I made so that I could just quit my job and do whatever I wanted. I still had to fund my half of my commitment to my household Mm. and, and figure out how to do that. And that's, that's why I had to go back to work after my payments ran out because Mm. I'm still on the hook for, we still have to eat. We still have a mortgage. We still, Mm. we had this huge facility. It's incredible to me. And I, and I would have been that person. Oh, I quit my job in a heartbeat just to run an EAL center or, you know, run a rescue or whatever people's dreams are, you know, especially animal people. And uh, it's unthinkable. But all I can tell you is if you want it bad enough, it's absolutely doable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely doable. You so, find a way. I was going to say, so you did find a way. So you bought 30 absolutely. acres, 30 acres yeah. with a house on. And so what have yeah. you now built on that 30 acres? Because it's quite a setup now, isn't it? It is. And it grows every year. (laughs) Um, So now we are, we moved in in 2011. We broke ground in April of 2012. So here we are nine years later, I guess. Um, We have built a beautiful six stall barn with an attached arena. So that went up the very first year before we moved the horses home. So we have a lovely 60 by 120 indoor arena um, and a classroom boardroom loft upstairs with a beautiful bathroom for clients to, uh, to enjoy. And then we also have an outdoor ring and we've built, we have, I think nine, eight paddocks. Now, um, we have a sheep enclosure and chicken enclosure. So we dabble in eggs and we're breeding a rare sheep, uh, bringing a new breed to Canada, the Valley black nose. Like it's not just an EAL center anymore. Like my husband and I have really embraced the idea of what other crazy stuff do we want to do? You know? And, and it's just been, it's been such a canvas for life here because we don't limit ourselves. We're just what else can we think of, you know, and my husband grows raspberries and he's got dreams of making wine or hopefully one day opening a distillery. And, you know, there's all different dreams we have and there's no limit because we have the space and we have the imagination. And the only thing that stops us is obviously financially. Um, We'd love to build more facilities and things like that, but that's just all part of growth. So it comes in time. Mm -hmm. So what you've done is courageous, brave, fun, and as you say, a little bit wild and crazy, what sort of influences do you have around you to keep you fired up for that and tuned into that? Some people would be going, oh my goodness, you are kidding me. I could never do that, even though I want to. So what fires you up and keeps you motivated to do it? Yeah. I mean, for me, there's a couple of things. Obviously my horses motivate me every day. I absolutely, you know, when I I sit in my office now and I'm surrounded by windows, so I see horses over here, I see horses over here. I've got chickens on my porch. Um, and that is motivation enough. If I'm not, you know, in, in a lot of ways, because if I'm not still striving and still building and still building this business, um, all of that is at risk always, you know, so there's that piece of it and not from a fear perspective, but I want to give them the best life. I don't, I don't want to get a call from the vet tomorrow and go, Oh, I can't afford that. I can't, I can't Mm. fix it. Um, which I've never faced. And I, and I don't think I will never face simply because that's just not an option. Um, and I just will always strive to have enough and do more, um, in order to sustain that. I also like to collect horses. There's not been a day I don't look at horses for yes. sale. So you, ha- that's, you have that's motivating. <laughs> <laughs> I have nine right now. Um, we just purchased two lovely mares last fall. Uh, one who will be a brood mare this uh, this year. We're going to breed her this year and bring another stunning warm blood into the world. And another one is a baby that I'm raising and we're going to teach to jump one day. So, mm-hmm. um, and again, just to keep life interesting, right? Why not? What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> now, you see, even you asking that question, why not? What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. That's a very, very different question than mm-hmm. a lot of people are asking of like, well, how would I ever leave my job? It's a completely different mindset question. Yeah. And that's, and when you say, who do I surround myself with? Mm. Um, I do a lot of personal development as we have talked about. Um, I did landmark with my husband six years ago or five years ago, which was game changing for both of us. It just, it shifts your mindset in so many different ways and certainly has helped us from a relationship perspective and communicating and, and, you know, overcoming challenges and, and facing some of the big stuff we face around here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then most recently I, you know, I've tapped into the Tony Robbins way of mm-hmm. thinking and, and I just, I love that energy. And when you think about life, 
you know, I speak to a lot of people who are, you know, just not, not thriving and not Mm -hmm. doing what they love. And I hear things like only seven years till I retire. And I, I cringe because really, I know like people get less time for manslaughter in this country. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so why would you torture yourself with seven more years of, of eight hours a day doing something that doesn't fill your cup? Mm -hmm. And, and I think because of the experience that I've had and the incredible pressure I felt internally to make a change, Mm I really inspire people to dig deep and find a way to make that change because we don't, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know how healthy we're going to be 10 years from now. You know, you've got to live every minute. And, and I just, I just have a big philosophy of, I want to be energized every day. I want to be joyful and I want to be present. And, mm. you know, when I was in corporate, when going through the motions, I didn't want to be present. I just yeah, wanted to point. get there and get home. Right. And you just miss out on so much, not, not loving what you do. And, you know, I sure did. I like my job when I was there. Yeah, absolutely. But if this is a different level, this is just a level of freedom and joy that I, that I would have dreamed about in my retirement. And I've never worked harder in my life, but this would be a life to me. This is like a life of retirement. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine not doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I just wish that for everybody, truly. Yeah. I just, and, and whatever it is, I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and buy a horse farm and do crazy stuff like I'm doing, but if there's something else you'd rather be doing mm-hmm. for heaven's sake, do it, do it, yeah. find a way, find a way money comes. I have two things that I, that are my mantra. One is money comes and the other is what's the worst that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> have you not got a third mantra in there is, Oh, maybe I'll buy another horse. Isn't that your third? Yeah. That, as well? that just runs constantly as an underlayer. <laughs> Fantastic. So tell us a little bit actually about the courses that you run, because I get the leadership by horse, um, you know, through horses, but I don't know that everybody will because for some people, well, some people are scared of horses, right? They don't understand the teaching ability. So yeah, tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. So from a corporate side or leadership side, when I think when I talk about my corporate teams and my high school programs, really, that's all about helping people understand themselves better. So when we work with horses, horses are looking for people who have strong leadership, clear communication (sighs) skills, they're concise, they're compassionate, they have empathy, all the things that we look for in a leader is what a horse is looking for in a leader. The difference is, they're going to tell you when you don't have it (laughs) (laughs) with their thousand pounds of body weight. Yes, absolutely. And generally speaking, they do that by just not doing what you ask. They're not generally doing anything that you don't want them to do. They're just not doing what you want them to do. And so what I found, and it certainly it plays out in every session that I do when we have people, you know, not having success with the horse, their ability to listen to the horse and their desire to change their behavior is massive. They want success with that horse. Mm-hmm. And if another human being was giving them that feedback, we wouldn't see those results. We just wouldn't. Now, the cool thing is, as they're working, we have obstacles and exercises that have all been tested through research that really drive to a specific objective. So if mm-hmm. I say we're going to do a trust exercise, you were going to build some trust. Mm-hmm. If I say we're going to work on silent communication, you are really going to understand the power of your body language and how to influence that and make sure that it is, um, it is you know, congruent with the messages you're trying to send. Mm -hmm. Like they're very, very um, specific in that sense and ridiculously fun at the same time, but they do drive to that objective. So when you're working with the horse and you're not quite getting it and the horse is giving you that feedback, the beautiful part about it is the minute you change your behavior, that horse will absolutely step in line and give you what you're asking for. Mm -hmm. They don't hold a grudge. They are just looking for the right cue to give you what you need. And that's to me is how the learning really sticks because you're rewarded for the right actions immediately. And, and it's amazing to watch. And then other than that, they really make you self-reflect. So when I think of all the leadership programs I had done through my university years and through my corporate career, you know, you're always going on leadership programs and what have you, and you sit in that classroom and that wonderful professor or teacher at the front is sharing with you the great principles of leadership you know, fairness, consistency, confidence, all those things. And you can look around the room and go, I hope they're listening. Cause man, I wish he had more of this. And I wish they had, <laughs> had more of that. It's not me, right? It's not, I'm Oh, I do that all the time because our, we don't know what we don't know mm-hmm. about our own 
you know, influence and behavior with other people until it's really in your face and you see it. So the ability for people to learn and own their own stuff when a horse is telling you that mm-hmm. has been amazing to watch. So can and you people give an want example? to change. Can you give an example oh, sure. of one of the exercises that you do? Because I, I mean, I've, I've done them with you in, yeah, in a networking yeah. night and they're That's so right. fun. So can yeah. you give an example? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of them that are, re- are really popular, but one of the ones that I love is called End of Your Rope. And end of your rope is when you have two leaders on the end of a rope and a horse in the middle. And so those two people are the line of communication to that horse. And they have to synchronize their messaging in order to get the horse to do what they want. And the whole objective of that exercise is yourself as part of a team. So what do you bring to a team? And we put them into a problem-solving scenario where they have to get the horse down the channel and turn it around and come back. And they have to stay outside of the rails. And there's a lot of different little rules to it. Um, that really challenges them how they can do that. It's not simple. It's, you can't just walk it up and down. Like there's lots of, you have to think of innovative ways to get the horse to turn around and trade sides and, and all these different things. And so what we're looking for in that scenario, for example, is what do you bring to the team? Who's the idea person? Who's the leader? Who's a strong communicator? Who's, who's task-oriented? Who's driving to the goal? Who's given up? And really looking at, you know, examining, like, what are your strengths? What can you bring to this team to help them move forward? And that's, that's a great one for when you have small teams and you can work in pairs. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing a large team, as I often do, I have an exercise called Four Musketeers, where we have somebody who's blindfolded, someone who mm-hmm. can't talk, someone who can't speak, and someone who can't hear. So here you have all these people with these challenges, but together they have it all. And we put them through so some on, really challenging. On. So you've got somebody blindfolded, somebody yeah. who can't speak, and somebody yeah. who can't hear. And someone who can't touch. Can't touch. Okay, that was the fourth yes. one, right? Right. And so we have them all linked together with a horse, of course. And then they go through these <laughs> exercises. So it's great for pictures. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> they go through this exercise or these exercises, a number of different obstacles that really test their problem solving ability and how they have to work together to figure stuff out. So there's a planning component and then an execution side of things. And there's easy ways to do it. And there's hard ways to do it. And and just seeing how the decision making happens. And how do they leverage their team? It's all about leveraging your strengths. Right. So we're looking for those teams that are, oh, you can't see, well, we're just going to drag you along because you're useless. Well, that person can do all kinds of things, right? They can pick stuff up, they can talk, they can, you know, they can do all kinds of things. But do we remember, do we look at it as what can you do versus what can you do? And it's a tremendous exercise to see um, how these teams can work together. And it's one of the last ones we do in, say, a team building exercise because it really brings them together and forces them to work together and see how they can interconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've had some big aha moments through that obstacle. I mean, things like um, we had an executive who had brought his team and they were from all over the world. So we had someone from Hong Kong and all over the place. And this particular group of four, there were three people from Toronto head office, including the CEO and one person from Australia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through this exercise, the, the person from Australia had this great idea to take the small ball. And they had, there was, they had to pick up a green ball and we had a yoga ball and we had this little ball. And so they grabbed the yoga ball mm-hmm. as many do, cause you, you grab what you see. And he says, we should, why don't we great grab the small ball? It'll be easier. And you have to understand the horse is reacting at all, all the time, when, especially when there's conversation and discussion and any strife or grief or, or kind of conflict in the team as they work this stuff out. So we're always watching the horse's body language. And this guy must have said it like four times and no one even acknowledged the words coming out of his mouth. So nobody even gave him a nod. And as they got, they muddled through with the giant yoga ball and the horse and what have you. And they're dealing with the horse going, why is the yoga ball in my face? And like there's consequences to taking the yoga ball, yeah. but they got through and they, they accomplished the task. And so as they get to the end, this is where my facilitators come in and we ask questions to understand, you know, how did that work for you? You know, what were some of the decision-making things? And they, they were really happy with themselves. They'd gotten through and said, oh, that's excellent. You know, you did, you accomplished what you came out to do. Um, did anybody hear what Bob said? I'll call him Bob from mm-hmm. Australia. And the looks on their faces, like I just made something up. Like they had no <laughs> idea. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? And I said, Bob, why don't you tell them what your idea was at the beginning? And he goes, well, I just don't understand why we didn't take the small ball. So I was suggesting we take the small ball. And I said, how many times did you suggest that, Bob? And he's like, four times. And so I said, and how many times did you guys hear it? nothing didn't hear it 
And it was really telling. And what was amazing in that moment was like Bob's in Australia. Like you've got him in the room and you don't hear him. He's got no voice from Australia in a meeting, right? On a call, mm-hmm. yeah. which is how he spends most of his career with and most of his interaction with his CEO and his other leaders. And what was really cool was the CEO was so shocked when we came, we, we always do a briefing downstairs with the small team. And then we come upstairs and do a larger briefing with the broader team to share learning and share stories. Mm-hmm. But I never call them out. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say, hey, your CEO didn't even hear this guy. Like I didn't do that. But he did. <laughs> but it was really interesting because he did. He goes, I'd like to share what happened with our team because he said it was really uh, telling for me and it can't happen again. And he said, okay. and he shared the story and he owned it. He said, I did not hear his voice. And and we we did give feedback on both sides. Like, Bob, you need to be heard, but you also have to take responsibility for being heard, right? Yeah, like, don't move, don't move until someone acknowledges what you say. Like, you have yeah. a good idea, make sure you're heard. But he's, and the, and the CEO absolutely stood up, called himself out and said, I didn't hear his voice. And now I'm really worried how many great ideas I haven't heard from all of you. And he literally laid it on the table. He said, I don't care what you have to do to make sure I've heard you, but make sure I, I'm not going to take every idea you have necessarily, Hmm. but I don't want to miss any because I just, we can't do that. That's not how we get better. And that's not how we operate. And it was just so awesome to see him really you know, humble himself in front of his team. Mm. Like that brought his team together like nothing else could because he was authentic. He was humbled. And he's like, I'm one of you guys. Like we're all in this together and I need to know everything. Like I need to hear you and I don't ever want you to feel unheard like we just experienced today. And it was really telling for him. But poor Bob had no voice. And so of course I make light of it. And I said, okay, Bob, now's the time to ask for that raise because everybody's listening. (laughs) (laughs) But it was great. And it's those types of things. And, and that wasn't specific feedback from the horse, obviously, in that one. But oftentimes, we'll get that feedback from the horse um, so clearly. Uh, my Clydesdale is great for that. I have a 2,000-pound Clydesdale who um, who will suffer fools for only so long. And, <laughs> and we have an exercise where you have to back the horse into a parking lot spot. Right. And, and so what it never fails where we get teams together. And, you know, one person will start to try and back Jimmy as my Clydesdale, Jimmy up into the parking spot. And it takes minutes before two or three more people have joined him to, you know, put some, put their backs into it. I was going to say, I bet they're trying to push the horse. Absolutely. Because he's 2000 pounds. So this is going to take brute strength. Like this guy's not going to just move for nothing. (laughs) And, and my Clydesdale, he's amazing because he stands there. And he, and he, I swear, I mean, if I was to put words to his face, it'd be like, here we go. Yeah. Here we go <laughs> and, yeah. And he stands there and then you'll see him just start to gently lean forward because now he's leaning into them. He's yeah. like, it's not happening. I do not, I will, you, I will not be pushed. And then eventually he will just start to take a very slow step, Jurassic Park style. <laughs> and people will jump out of the way. And I mean, he's not moving fast, but it's very funny. <laughs> and they'll be like, he doesn't back up. He doesn't back up. And it's a perfect opportunity. And it's a great learning experience because my, I ask one question. Did you ask him or did you tell him? Yeah. And they'll all look at me and they'll be like, oh, well, we told him. And I said, well, how do you respond when you're just told what to do and pushed yeah. into something? For and sure. how does that work for your team, right? And I'll say, I'm going to I'm gonna challenge you to try again. Mm-hmm. You better make friends with him because now he's not happy. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> go try again. And I said, I'm going to challenge you to ask him to back up. And mm-hmm. if it were you, how would you want to be asked? And literally, they'll go out there, they'll send one person out, and they'll look at Jimmy and they'll be like, hey, Jimmy, back, can you back up? And they'll just touch him, just touch him ever so lightly. And that horse will march backwards, no problem. Like he just, <laughs> he's amazing. He's like, he's just the best thing ever. And uh, and he's just really clear, right? It doesn't get any clearer yeah. than that. Like I will not be bullied. I won't be pushed around. And I will respond to kindness and fairness and respect. And that's all they want. Yeah. And we that's- forget. Yeah, it's such a fantastic story. And you're right, they are so good for teaching mm-hmm. just basic lessons. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's lessons that we take for granted. Yeah. And the reality, the 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 truth of the matter is, is how people behave with our horses is who they are. Mm. Because we've taken them out of their comfort zone. We've made them a little bit vulnerable because we do have a lot of fear in the room. There are lots of people who are afraid of horses and yeah. we respect that. We do get them through that fear before we put them into any heavier exercises mm. for sure. 
those are the ones that have the best breakthrough because they never thought they could ever work with a horse, yeah. even stand next to one, let alone what they're going to accomplish that day. But, um, but being able to get people to just recognize like, this is who you are. And, and we hear it more often than not. Oh, I do that all the time. Mm. You know, they'll, they'll do something. They'll be like, Oh my God, I do that all the time. And it just starts to bring that awareness of here's, here's how you operate. And maybe something you want to think about as you work with your teams, because now you're seeing how it affects the horse. This is how it affects the people around you as well. It's just, they're not telling you. Yeah. So for my, for those teams, I always say it's a great opportunity to come for like a a real time performance review. Absolutely. (laughs) They're not going to mince words. So obviously depending on COVID restrictions, how far and wide do people travel from to come and work with you? Oh, we had, we've had international teams, uh, Cisco UK brought their team out for a full day with a barbecue and everything at the end. So yeah, we've had people from Hong Kong, from Singapore, you name it. Uh, Most of my clients are from downtown Toronto. So Mm that's, that's more obviously reasonable. We're less Mm -hmm. than an hour from Toronto. So that's a good day for them. Um, But yeah, very far. (laughs) Wow. Fantastic. So if there is somebody listening in and they really, they have a particular passion or a particular Mm -hmm. dream and they just can't see how to make that a reality, where would you suggest that they start looking to change their thinking or to start making a new plan? What could be their catalyst to change? I would say um, really delve into some personal development, really delve into like what makes you tick Mm -hmm. and what do you really want? I'll tell you one of the books that I um, read and I recommend, and I always forget the author's name, but it's called Live the Life You Love. And it's Mm -hmm. by Barbara something. (laughs) Thank you. Sorry, Barbara. Um, (laughs) And I remember uh, because I was at that time uh, where I was just really looking, I I just needed, I knew I needed to change. I didn't know what it looked like. I just, I knew I needed out and I needed to find something. Um, I took her book. I was going to Mexico for one of my business trips and I took her book and I did the exercises in the first chapter. I don't Mm -hmm. even know that I got through the rest of the book, to be honest, but I did the first chapter. And one of the things it said in that chapter was write a paragraph about what your life looks like when you've achieved what you want like what does life look like what's Mm. your ideal life and I wrote this paragraph out that went on to the next few exercises did my thing got my business meeting probably never picked up the book again five years later while living at Dreamwinds running Dreamwinds I found my 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 journal that had just Mm. been thrown in a drawer and I opened it up and I read that paragraph and it was my life And I didn't know that I wanted, I didn't know how that life was going to look, but there were certain things in that sentence, that, that paragraph that I wrote, like I wanted to really live a life that was, was driven by my passion and allowed me to pursue my passion. I wanted it to, I wanted to be surrounded by my horses in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never said I wanted to work with horses. Like it didn't, it wasn't that specific, but it said, Mm -hmm. I also, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, which was really interesting. Because what I've created here uh, through my EAL certification program, where I actually teach people the curriculum and how to run their own EAL business, is I've wrapped it in all kinds of marketing training. Mm-hmm. And everything I do with my business, I really leverage a lot of my marketing training. And, and, and that to me was the bathwater, the baby in the yeah, bathwater. Like absolutely. I just, I was able to keep that business piece of it really front and center, as well as working with corporate, which was my life in the past. So it was really interesting. Um, but it, it absolutely, if, if, I could, if I was to frame it, you would read it and see it is absolutely what happened. And I'm a true believer that write down what you want, mm-hmm. whether you think you're actively pursuing it or not, you have locked it in your brain because you physically, kinetically mm-hmm. um, committed to it. Yep. And you will get there. You will, it, the, it, you will find a way there, even if you know you're not headed there. And I, it was just incredible to me to read that. Those were the types of things that I was doing. Those were the mm-hmm. types of things that helped me get unstuck. And that's where I felt. I, and I know lots of people out there listening are feeling stuck, like, oh, I'm in this job or I'm in this relationship mm-hmm. or I'm in this whatever. When you hit bottom and you really are, just don't think you can get any lower and you're really, really stuck. That's when you have the chance to bounce. You yeah, know, exactly. that's You've when you got one direction to go. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that to me is, you know, you cannot give up on that. Like, just don't settle. Don't go. This is good enough. There's, there is no good enough. This is mm-hmm. one life, one chance to do it. And if you, it doesn't matter how crazy your dream is. 
I don't know that there's much crazier than this, given where I came from, to be able to throw all that away. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing how many animals you now have and the sort of the antics you get up to, I really don't (laughs) think there is a dream that's much crazier. (laughs) Absolutely. And so when you think about it, I always think like people are like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Like, listen, if I can do this, you can do whatever you need to do. (laughs) Because that's, that's the th- that's the thing about passion and drive and commitment is you will find a way. Yeah. And uh, if it's really not your passion, they always say you'll find an excuse. And that's that's the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, just you mentioning Barbara Shear, actually, there's another mm-hmm. really good book that she wrote. Um, and it is called something along the lines of I could do anything if only I knew what I wanted. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah, that sounds great. And I have read that a couple of times. Um, And again, it's just getting that clarity of what do I want and how am I actually going to make a change? Because like anything, it's making the change, which is the really um, toughest part. It takes the most energy. Yeah, absolutely. But also surrounding yourself in the right people and the right energy, which is I keep saying about this podcast, this is the sort of energy that you need to surround yourself in. Exactly. It's full of people who are actually doing what they want. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I remember, um, you know, many of you have heard this as well, you know, you become the five people you spend Mm -hmm. the most time with. And I've really looked to shape that and seek out people who are are pushing, you know, to do different things. You know, my Mm -hmm. husband's a great example. He's, he's crazier than I am. So that helps because (laughs) he's always, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, trust me. (laughs) You can do a whole podcast on him. (laughs) But he's always pushing for, you know, trying new ideas and, and, and learning and absorbing information and seeing how it can fit into something new and different to try and, um, so that to me is just a great energy to have. I, I'm not, mm. I'm not quite as wildly and, you know, adventurous as he is on some of the things that he gets into, but, um, but he'll try it and he'll, and he'll see if it works and and go from there. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's a huge thing. And, and being around people that are also pursuing their dream and doing what they're love. Like, I love that you've started this podcast. Like this to me is just such an amazing fit for you. Thank and you. that's, that's a huge energy to be putting out into the world, into the universe and a great message. So thank you. You got to find those people. You got to find those people. I do not spend time with the Debbie Downers anymore, ever. No, I know. They just, I just don't. No, no benefit. No, no. That's one of the really, uh, in fact, today I've had two coaching calls and mm-hmm. one of the ladies, one, it was amazing the results that are coming up because she just said, well, because I always say, you know, what's going on since we last spoke, etc. And one of the things that she said was, well, you know, I've just kind of, it's a really old high school friend, but I've never felt great around her. She just made me feel so bad, etc, etc. And she said, I've just kind of let the relationship go, but I feel really good about letting it go. And I'm sort of like, okay, my work here is done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you feel good about breaking away from stuff that you once felt tied to bound to or duty bound yeah. and it's so refreshing to have the courage to walk away from that stuff yeah I get torn a little bit because I want to help I want to help them feel what I feel every day you know like it, it shouldn't be a slog you should want to wake up and jump out of bed in the morning like it, it yeah. should be exciting you should be having something to look forward to mm. um but then and, and if they're open to that and want that like then I'm happy to be part of it yeah um but there are those people that are just happier in, in the negativity in like they, they're not comfortable unless they're controlling their misery. And that's a good, way I, of that's, it. that's tough. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's their, it's their, it's their unhappy place, but it's their comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. And that so, can be hard to break. So uh, conscious of the time, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your story with us love the stories, love what you do, and extremely grateful that you helped me buy my horse too. So thank you very much for that. Always a pleasure. (laughs) I have worked with her pretty much every day since I got her back in September. Oh, amazing. Um, I was going to ask you how that was going. Yeah, it's it's really going. And it's small steps. But again, I'm learning so much from her. She teaches me patience. She teaches me communication. She teaches me to wear good boots in case she treads on my feet. (laughs) And so she teaches me lots of lessons. 
<laughs> I'm getting a few of those lately as well. I lost my toenail last week. It was great. <laughs> I know. I saw that on Facebook. <laughs> now, yeah, get your it, feet out from under there. <laughs> exactly. So if somebody wanted to find out more about what you do and about the courses you teach, um, mm-hmm. how can they contact you or how can they find you? Uh, they can find us at www.dreamwins.ca. I am also on Facebook as DreamWinds Equine Assisted Learning Center or Instagram, DreamWinds EAL. We have a Twitter handle, DreamWinds EAL. Um, we have a LinkedIn page. Uh, I'm really easy to find. My email is tracy at dreamwinds.ca. And I always offer up if there's anybody out there who's who's stuck and just wants a inspirational chat, I'm open to that as well. Like I, I just love hearing from people that are looking to make a change. And it doesn't have to be in my industry. If I can help somebody, inspire somebody to do do more, do better, do something they love. I'm open to that as well. Super cool. Thank you for that. So I will end. Oh, thank you. So I will end (laughs) just by saying, if you've enjoyed this episode of Magical Midlife, please tune in and like it, subscribe, share with your friends and keep tuning back into the podcast. So I will say goodbye. And Tracy. Thank you all so much. And thank you so much, Lindsay, for having me. It's been a great pleasure. You're very welcome. Okay. Bye. Take care.